you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. I recently was in a conversation myself and another gentleman from our church. We were talking to an elderly man who is not in good health. And we asked him a question about whether or not he was ready for what is obviously coming to him sooner than later. And he started by telling us that he has tried to be good. That's the way he described it. That was his salvation experience was my desires to be good. I've wanted to be good. And he began to read out the good things that he had done in life and read through the Bible and started on it the second time. And so he had these ideas of what it is to be good. And our problem is that when we try to do what is good... On our own, it doesn't look right. It's not right. And the truth is we can't do good without God. God must be what has changed us and what has happened in our life. New creation, everything changes. So I want us to look this morning in this Romans chapter 3. Paul is going to be kind of having this uh, conversation as though he were having a conversation with someone and they're talking about what is it to be all these different things. Um, God has uh, given the Jews the, the word, and he, he entrusted them with, the, with that, and he entrusted them by bringing Christ through them and everything else. And so the question is, what, what advantage does the Jew have? And, and, and Paul is going to say great in every respect because they were entrusted with so much. The problem with the Jews is they rejected what was given to them. And they became a a group of people who basically wanted to follow all of these laws and do all of these certain things in order to be found good. And they left God's plan out. And yet they were entrusted with it. It was was brought to us through them, but yet they themselves refused to accept God's good gift of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this this morning, let's stand together in Romans chapter 3. We'll begin with verse number one. Then what advantage does the Jew have or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. This is Paul as though he's having this conversation. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. So Paul's first statement was, listen, you were given the word of God. All right. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not uh, nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? And Paul answers, in fact, he says, far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar, as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Just because man can't hold his word does not mean that God doesn't hold his. God is perfect, man is not. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint, far from it. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? 
And why not say, just as we are seriously slandered, seriously reported, and as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it? Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So guess what? Everybody in this room, guess what y'all are? Guess what we all are? Sinners. Verse 10 says, as it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable, excuse me, to God. Because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. But here's the answer. Listen to this, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because the, in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, we thank you that we have a problem that we are able to recognize because of your wisdom. You have given us understanding of our issue. So we thank you for that. And we also thank you, Father, for pointing out that we will never be good enough to overcome this issue. But instead, you, Father, have made a way through your son, Jesus Christ. The propitiation, the payment, the the very thing that we are desperate for, he took upon the cross. And he paid our price. And what the call is, is for us to have faith, to believe, to entrust ourselves to this Jesus. That literally he paid it all. Father, thank you. Thank you. That he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wish I could tell you that this man who we spoke to was the only person I've ever heard try to justify himself before God and before man. But the truth is, it is a common everyday occurrence when you witness to people. They always want you to know just how good they are. And, and, and they don't recognize their great need because they have been told their whole life, if you will just do X, Y, and Z, God cannot help but love you and take you in. I was recently at a funeral. 
And, and I felt horrible for, for what was said at the funeral. It, it broke my heart because basically uh, we were told that all we have to do in order to make it to heaven is just keep trying. That was the testimony given by the preacher at this funeral. The actual preacher stood and said, the reason that this man is in heaven today is because he just kept trying. Again, this is a a false goodness, a false idea of what it is to be truly born again. You and I cannot be born again without Christ. We cannot have this new life without Jesus. The Bible is very clear that you and I are of no value without Christ. We're no good. It says in verse 10, as it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Now, here's what I believe without I believe the Bible teaches us very clearly. You and I aren't even smart enough to search God out. You and I are not even spiritual enough to desire God. Without God putting that upon us, without God allowing us to see where our failures are, what our sins are, and without God allowing us to see our need, we would never be able to see it ourselves. This is why there are certain things that that bother me that are said in the pulpit, such as the day that I chose Christ. Folks, you could not choose Christ without Christ choosing you. God moves upon us. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And and so this idea that I can be good outside of God is an absolute lie. And no matter how much I try to do here on this earth, it is only by the grace of God that I will be able to walk into heaven when I leave this world. So There is none good. There is none who seeks out God. There is none who does good. It says here their throat is open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I I hear people all the time. They'll tell me uh, their, their issue. They'll tell me, oh, I've got this problem. But then they want to blame everybody else for their problem. or Or they'll do everything they can to keep from actually saying, I'm the reason that I'm where I'm at. Folks, one of the greatest things about coming to Christ is you're able to admit your faults. You want to you know if you are truly a believer, you can admit where you're wrong. Now that's a struggle. That's a hard thing for all of us, especially if you're a man, correct? Men don't like to admit that we're wrong. Men don't like to admit that we struggle. And, and yet one of the clear views of Christianity is that when we come to Christ, we, we can understand I have been wrong. I was not right. That's a good thing. But there are many who come and they'll sit in my office and they'll, they'll cry their eyes out and they'll do all the, and they'll blame everybody for their issues. But they'll never take ownership for it. And those people walk out of my office unchanged. Unfazed by the grace of God. Still struggling with the things of life. Because they're just going to walk out saying, it's not my fault that I'm the way I am. Yes, it is. It is our fault when we sin. Taking ownership, understanding that we're not good, understanding that we're not righteous. You and I struggle with this idea that God 
has taken our filth, our junk, our trash, our sin, and placed it all upon Christ. And therefore, we're supposed to be changed. What we struggle with is that change part. Folks, I believe without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, with the Holy Spirit enters into the heart and mind and life of a person, change happens. Now, there are struggles along the way. Paul himself admitted to his struggles. Paul, even after all the books that he wrote, all the great ministries that he had a part of, he still struggled with sin. He admitted that. But the difference between a person who struggles with sin and one who's lost is the person that's a Christian admits, here's my struggle. Here's where it's at. This is real. This is what I have to change. This is what I've got to trust God with. And a person who's lost is like, oh, well, it's just me. It's just who I am. We must be very careful. We have to be ready. We have to pay attention that none of us are good apart from God. Now, if God puts the good within the heart of man, then you and I are called to do things. And we can't do good without God. We cannot do. It is impossible to do good. It is impossible to please God without him first working within us, right? So here's what I want us to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says, And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the ages to come, he might show his boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them." Here's the problem that a lot of people have when they talk about their salvation. They begin to tell you of all of their good works. My friend, if you skip the part about your faith in Christ, if you skip the part about the fact that Jesus has saved you and forgiven you, your good works are null and void. They mean nothing. But if your salvation story begins with God touching your heart and you coming a Christian and you understanding that you are were a sinner doomed to a sinner's hell... And now, now God has put within you this desire for good work. That's salvation, my friend. That is who Jesus is. That is what God has done. He has caused you to come to a place of desiring good works. But without God, all you have, well, I've done this. I've read the Bible. I was a good person. I sat in the pew. Uh, No, no, no. Your salvation experience starts out. I was in desperate need because I am wicked. I'm in desperate need because I am filthy. 
That's why when these little children come to me and they want to talk to me about salvation, I've got to make sure they understand what sin is. A lot, a lot of people tell me, well, they, they know all about God. They know all this. They know all that. But the question is, do they understand what sin is? Because I don't need to be saved from something if I don't understand that I need to be saved. I need to be saved because I'm lost. I need to be saved because I'm desperate without God. So we've been called to do good. We've been called to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. Colossians 1.10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So again, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the call that we have. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Matthew 5, 14 uh, and through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. You see, if the goodness of God has truly touched your life and you are a true believer, you're not just telling people about the good things that you've done for God, but you're telling them the good thing that God did for you. He saved me, that he sanctified me, that he is doing a work in my life, that one day I will be able to stand before him and that I will be in that place to be with him called heaven. So in order to understand all this, what is the biblical meaning of good? What does that look like? What is the idea? And I imagine if we were to ask a lot of people, what does the word good mean? We'd probably get a lot of different answers. But let's look at the Bible and actually see the idea of the biblical word for good. All right? When you look at it, superior for particular purpose or use, morally good, kind, loving, gracious, pertaining to what is pleasant, implying suitability. Benevolence, usefulness. Can you imagine that? Without God, there's, we're of no value. We're, we're, we're of no use. Kindness provides something as an act of kindness. This is the call that God has put on us to do good works. And, and good works are things that we do out of the abundance of what God has done for us. And we don't advertise these good works. We don't need to tell people about all the good things we've done, but instead we want to start out the conversation with what God has done for us. So we sit here today and we've got a call to do good works. We understand that we can't do good without God. We understand that there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who seeks out God. There is no one who does good. And yet we are called to do good. How do we fix it? How then can we become the people that God called us to be? Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
God already gave us the answer earlier in Romans chapter 3. Now we're going to hear it again in 2 Corinthians 5. They're going to marry together. It's going to be perfect. And we're going to close with this simple truth. How do we fix this issue when none are good and yet we're called to be good? Verse 15 says, and he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. If you're a believer this morning, your first call is to no longer live for who? Yourself, but instead to live for God, to live for Christ, live for the glory of God. That's our call. Verse 16 says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. All right? Well, I have an idea. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus was a good man. You know what? There were a lot of people who believed that Jesus was a good man. But the question is, do you now look at him as the only way? John 14, 6, what does it say? I am the way. Right. No man comes to the Father except by me. This is the view. This is how we must look at Christ now, not just as a person who was a good man, but now we look at him spiritually as the only way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if I view Christ in this manner, that he is the only way, if, if this is what I believe, the person is a new creation, the old things have passed away, behold, all things have become brand new. Something has happened. God has changed an no good for nothing person and placed righteousness upon them. What was of no value suddenly has great value, eternal value. Why? Not because they're good, but because of the goodness of God. Verse 18 says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And the greatest signs of all for a new believer and for a real believer is that we don't hold sin against others. We are de- our desire is to reconcile them to the Lord. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're here today and you're sitting there thinking, man, I've got a lot of work to do. Would you stop for a moment and just listen to me? God has already done the work. God has already done the work. The work is done. Get out of your mind that you must work harder in order to be right with God. God already did that. He already did the work. He put it all upon his son, Jesus Christ. So what we have to do is recognize that without Christ... Without the perfect plan of God, Jesus Christ, I have nothing. I am no good. Literally, I'm of no earthly value. But when I 
no longer look at Jesus as just being a historical figure, but I look at him as being my savior. I am a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. And now instead of me starting my testimony out about how good I am, my testimony now has become how good God is. Because without God, there is no good. If your life has not been changed by the power of Almighty, then your life has not been changed. Kind of goes back to the sinner's prayer. People tell me, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer, so I'm okay. The sinner's prayer is a work. It's not even in the Bible. That's why we don't pray the sinner's prayer here. It's a made-up man, bunch of words that, folks, you can say whatever you want to, but unless God grabs a hold of your heart, they're just words. It is recognizing that I am lost and no good without Christ. And it's recognizing that Jesus is the answer. And when I put my faith that Jesus is all I need, then God places upon me righteousness that I didn't deserve. But that's the propitiation that Christ was. He paid all of that. So this morning, if you're here and you're saying, I just need to be better, stop. You'll never be good enough on your own. But with God and because of God, we can be made right in the eyes of God. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light through your son, Jesus Christ. And you have taught us this morning that No matter how good we think we are, without Christ, we see just how broken we really are. And the closer that we draw to you, Father, the more obvious the darkness in our life is made. We see the things that we're trying to hide. God, let us be honest with those things. Let us be out in the open with those things. Father, change us today. Change us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.